0: Thank you all. Thanks for being here today. Matt already told you I was going to preach, so I'm surprised that you decided to come anyway. Sandy and I love ARBC. And we love you. Amen. And uh, you are our church family. And we thank you for your comfort, your care, your support, your cards, your prayers, especially your prayers. We felt them Um, at the time of my mom's death and uh, our trip back to Illinois. Thank you. We felt undergirded by the people of God, and uh, we appreciate that. I think as I look at that list of work things, there's something I might even be able to do. Can you help us? Can you help us on Saturday? Come on, help us. Wayne's not here to count, but yeah, okay. I know that a few of you will be here. It's good to see you today. And uh, thanks, Joy. She's... uh, watching online she told me she was praying for me today and uh, Gloria has prayed for me it makes all the difference Steve prayed for me thank you Bill prayed for me in class stand with me and meet me at Psalm 38 little boy came home from Sunday school and his mom said well what did you study today He said, sin. (laughs) Well, what would your teacher say about it? He said, he's against it. (laughs) We're going to uh, read this psalm, which is a prayer of a suffering sinner. A psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord... Do I wait? It is you, O Lord God, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. As Elisha said in his day, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, they had it all, a perfect world, beauty, goodness, plenty of everything, and they had God's sweet, sweet presence with them day and night. But then the old devil came and introduced Adam and Eve to human sin, to suffering, to sorrow. And I think sometimes we often fail to want to go back to the garden. Oh, we'd like to go back for the good stuff, all that beauty and all of those wonderful fruits and vegetables, but we don't want to go back and look at the sin. We want to forget the fall and the sin that touched us all. David's psalm is a memorial, a reminder to remember, to remember. Now, other psalms, he talks about remembering our blessings. Don't forget all God's benefits. But this one, this one is a penitential psalm. He's trying to help us because he's trying to express himself, trying to tell how grievous, how abandoned how awful he feels because of his sin. I think sometimes we're in denial. We're in denial of our sin. We're in denial of our need of God. Kind of like those Laodicean Christians in the book of Revelation. Revelation. You say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. But listen to what Jesus says to these lukewarm Christians. You do not know you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They're in bad shape. Don't even know it. A.W. Tozer speaks of our lost estate. He talks about how come we can be in heaven considering all that we have done. He's really telling us, don't forget where you came from. For what right will we have to be in heaven? Did we not by our sins take part in that unholy rebellion which rashly sought to dethrone the glorious King of creation? And did we not... in times past walk according to the course of this world according to the evil prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience and did we not all live in the lusts of our flesh and were we not by nature the children of wrath even as others but we who were one time enemies and alienated in our minds through wicked works One day we shall see God face to face, and his name shall be on our foreheads. We who earned banishment shall enjoy communion. We who deserve the pains of hell shall know the bliss of heaven, and all through the tender mercy of our God. Well, I read this morning Spurgeon, and uh, yesterday morning, excuse me, and he talked about remembering, remembering. He He remembered Peter, and Peter remembering his denial of the Lord. He wept bitterly. David is helping us to see he does not have a lack of conviction. God has placed conviction on him. That wasn't David's problem. He understood. He remembered. He felt his sin. He remembered his sin and acknowledged that he had sinned grievously with Bathsheba. He'd been part of the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And now, full-blown, in this 38th Psalm, he tells us that sin causes suffering. Now, that's pretty profound, even though uh, you may have thought that I was more profound than that. But sin causes suffering. And I believe that every one of us can say amen to that. Because we've experienced it. That present existential pain. Ooh, it hurts thinking about it, doesn't it? David describes his pain in very graphic forms. Suffering. The suffering of sin. Injury, pain, havoc, loss, pollution, poison, rot, rust, decline, deterioration, waste, on and on we could go. That thesaurus has just all kinds of words to describe suffering. And David's a psalmist. But don't forget, David's the sinner. He's remembering his sin. This first verse he says he's pleading with Almighty God to not turn his fierce anger on his child. Today, sometimes we feel like God doesn't love us anymore. We forget that sometimes his discipline comes hard on us. But don't forget, those whom he loves, he disciplines. Don't run away from the Lord's discipline. Welcome it. His hand of discipline shows his heart of love toward you and toward me. That second verse tells us that the conviction of God's spirit is real. David felt the barbs of God's arrows stick deep into his heart, reminding him of his sin, God's heavy hand on him, reminding him, hey, David, you're, you're, not, you're not well. You're spiritually unhealthy. You've got sin in your life. And God's gift, God's gift to us of the conviction of the Holy Spirit to alert us, to guide us, to show us that we're out of alignment with the perfect and holy God. The Spirit helps us, the Word says, in our infirmities. The Spirit helps us finally become convinced that we're out of tune with the director of the symphony of life. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, sometimes we want to deny that. But the Word tells us there's none righteous. No, not one. No, not one. Only Jesus. And so we take this psalm and we realize that it's for us. Not just for David, but it's for us. We are sinners. We are sinners. The only difference. The only question of difference, have we allowed Jesus to save us from our sins, to wash us in his blood that he gave on the cross? That third verse tells us how David's spiritual illness affects his physical health. No soundness in my flesh, no health in my bones because of sin, because of of God's indignation. When we sin, we violate God's purpose, His plan for us, to be in fellowship and communion with Him, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, fully and totally. And we've displeased Him. We, we feel His indignation because we discount His claim on our lives. We say, oh, I'm my own. I'm, I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the... I'm the I'm the top dog. But we turn from his loving invitation again and again and he keeps reminding us through his faithful holy spirit. We're sinners, we need him above all else. That fourth verse is pretty interesting. David is in over his head with sin that flood of guilt and sorrow and shame. He was drowning in his sin. I don't know about you, but I can remember being in the swimming pool and that awful moment when I went from the shallow end of the pool as I was tiptoeing across it. And I got into that deep end. And I'm in over my head. And I'm struggling for just one breath of good old O2. That's how David's feeling. He's in over his head. He's not only underwater, but he's buried under his load of sin. That fifth verse tells me that David might have been dealing with leprosy. The symptoms are right there. His wounds are foul. They fester. Foul-smelling wounds, festering pus. He really can't stand himself. I don't know about you, but there have been a few times when I've been on a long fishing or hunting trip or working out. And I feel like I can't stand myself. I stink so bad. But this is what David's saying about himself as he thinks about his sin. As he confesses his sin. As he talks about his sin. As he feels his sin. As he is in pain from his sin. And Would you note how it came about, his sin? Foolishness. Foolishness. Yeah. That fifth verse, because of my folly, because of my my utter foolishness. And the truth of it is, sin is dumb. Sin uh, is foolish. It's not rational. Remember what Paul said? His description of sin and sinners, to the book of in the book of Romans, he says, "Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." There was a judge that a man came before, said he wanted a he wanted a holiday for atheists. He said, "Well, what do you mean?" I want a holiday for atheists. We've got a holiday for Christmas. We've got a holiday for Thanksgiving. We've got a holiday for presidents. I want a holiday for atheists. And the judge says, well, I don't think that's necessary because you already have one. And the man says, well, what do you mean? He says, well, the Bible says that uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And there's April Fool's Day. So you already have it. That sixth verse. We can identify with David. I'm bent over, greatly bowed down. He is feeling the pain, the weight of his guilt. It bends us in grief all Morning all day long. Sin does that. And then if you go on, in the seventh verse, he's feverish. He doesn't feel at all together. And here he is, this victor over Goliath. This shepherd who killed the bear and the lion. This king of Israel with his mighty men. This man, after God's own heart, he's not healthy. I'm a mess, he's really saying. His organ recital goes on in uh, verse 8. Flesh, bones, no health, bad wounds, bent over, fever, mourning, numb from pain. Now his heart's agitated, not at peace. He's uh, not contented. He's almost at the point of cardiac arrest. We suffer from sin. We're disgusted from sin, with our sin. That diseased, that disturbed, that distressed sense. That sin causes suffering. And it does that. In the here and now. And maybe I'm speaking to some people. You're suffering from your sin. Right now. You're in pain. And then. That second part of this. This 38th chapter. Verses 9 to 14. Tells us that sin always leads to sorrow. Now we might be. Arrogant, we might be proud, we might be thinking that we're, we're still the top dog. But there is sorrow in our hearts that comes from sin directly. Regret, guilt, shame, embarrassment, fear, loneliness, anguish, agony, torture. I was thinking of PTSD over past sins or trauma. Now, where's Gwen, our resident nurse? So PTSD from sin. Do you think it? I think it could be. Yeah. And uh, so here's David. He's suffering. He's in agony from the trauma of regret and guilt. I was back home last week. I told in my mom's memorial service, there were times when I was a teenager I could see my mom when I was pulling out of the driveway, driving that 1965 Chrysler Newport, going out on a hot date, and she's saying something, but I, I, I can't hear her, but I can see her mouth. And, and she's mouthing the words to Numbers 32, be sure your sins will find you out. And we know that they do, don't they? And and that's why we feel guilt. That's why we feel shame. I think about David. He's a precursor to Isaiah. But don't forget Isaiah 6. When Isaiah comes to this encounter with God. And he sees himself opposed to a holy God. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm sinful. That's exactly what David says here. And in this ninth verse, he he puts it all out. He says, Lord, all my desire is before you. I want you. And the only place I can go is to you. I want you. I want you. I want those green pastures. I want those quiet, still waters of your presence. Can you feel the deep bitterness of his soul caused by his own moral failure and foolishness? He's sighing, hoping for help. The last few years of her life, every once in a while, my mom would get to sighing. You know, she made it to a hundred, but to the getting there was quite the job. And uh, every once in a while she'd be, Sigh. And I'd say, "Mom, what's the matter?" Oh, I'm just waiting, you know, waiting to die. And I'd sing to her, you know, no more sighing there. We're going to see the king. Well, anyway. Um, but here, David is sighing for the Lord. He knows that that's the only place he can go. And then in 10, he details his physical sorrow, heartaches, exhausted, even his bright eyes have grown dim with despair. with You can almost feel his depression, can't you? In verse 11, there's another possible indicator. David's suffering from leprosy. His family and friends and others stay away from him because he stinks and because he's got this plague. He's probably got COVID, I think. But Anyway, he's a pariah. He is an outcast. He's abandoned. He's exiled because of his plague. And all of it comes back to the source. His putrid, stinking sin. Verse 12, even his enemies on the outside are planning his demise and death. And so he's afraid. He's got this terror that his enemies, what they'll do for him. Unabashed pain from sorrow, fear an anticipated disaster. He's thinking about Absalom, his son, who was in the process of rebelling against his own father and usurping the kingdom of Israel. Uh, And then 13 and 14, because of his sin predicament, David's a deaf mute. Have you ever gotten to a point where you're just so totally out of it? That you can't speak, that you can't hear, you can't hear encouragement, you can't even speak in your own defense, he has no arguments, he is guilty, he has sinned, he's miserable without hope, he's down for the count, he's lost his voice to even defend himself, but but, but wait, we're not, we're not done with this chapter yet, let's get to the good stuff beginning at verse 15. Because sin is only forgiven by the Savior when the sinner repents and turns back to God. So when you take a look at that, he says, for I hope in you, O Lord, you will answer, O Lord my God. God's the only one. His people can't. His mighty men can't. Bathsheba can't. Only God His only hope. I hope in you. The truth of it is, when we turn back to God, it's the Lord Himself. Jesus, who deals with the past, the present, and our future sin. Because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Savior. It's the cross the precious blood of Jesus. We sang about that at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. Every time I go back home, I think about that old Nazarene church. They're on Tiedemann Avenue in Roxanna, Illinois. They've turned it into a house now, but back then had an altar across the front. And about Eight bars from the end is where an eight-year-old kid knelt. Now, I thought I had to keep going back and back and back and back. But it was there, by faith, I received my sight. And I've been happy most of the time, ever since. I really got happy when I got to be a Baptist. Woo-hoo! The only prayer David can muster is this prayer. My hope is in you, O Lord. I have enough faith to wait and trust you because you, O God, you're the only one who will hear me, number one, but will answer me and the only one who can help me in my helplessness. David reiterates his fear of his enemies and then he comes to confess. Verse 18. It's the beginning of the road back home. He returns to the Father's house. He's repentant of his foolish sin. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Think of those two prodigal sons, those boys that Jesus told about. The young prodigal son took his inheritance, went to the far country, wasted it, squandered it. But then something happened. He got to the bottom. He was eating the corn that he was feeding the pigs. And he says, oh, what am I doing here? And the word, I love it. And he came to himself, came to his senses, came out of his foolishness. And he says, and he's rehearsing this little confession to his dad. He says, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell him, dad, I've, I've messed up bad. I have sinned against you and against heaven. And just make me a servant because you treat them better than what I'm getting treated here. And uh, then I think about that other prodigal, the young one's brother, big brother. And uh, he stayed away from the party. He stayed away from his dad. Because of his arrogant pride, his ego, his self righteousness, his really his greed, and I think about what John says in First John: "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." Wow! If we say, oh, and he also says, "If we say that we haven't sinned, we're liars." His word is not in us because God is faithful. We sang that this morning. He's faithful. He's faithful. Even when I'm unfaithful, God is faithful. And so, yeah, it's a dark and gloomy psalm because sin is always painful. But here's the good news. David's faith in a faithful God gets traction. In those last two verses. Oh Lord my God. If you haven't forsaken me. If you are near me. If you hurry to help me. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm restored. I'm reinstated. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a poor wretch of a sinner like me. Well where are we now on time? I'm looking here at my little. Mickey Mouse, watch. Oh, yeah. 30 minutes and 18 seconds. So we better hurry on these lessons. Foolishness leads to sin. When we're self confident, living life in the power of ourselves, no restraints. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, I do it my way, I want to be in control. Second, sin has consequences, physical, mental, spiritual, probably some physical or financial ones too, because sin will take you farther than you ever dreamed it would. It'll take you where you never wanted to go. John MacArthur says we sin because we like to sin. The lights are bright, pleasure's tempting, but the cost is great. Paul says the wages of sin is death, death. That's how much it costs to sin. And our only hope is Jesus to realize, to acknowledge, to repent, to confess. I think of that song. It's not it's not my wife, it's not my kids, it's not my mom and dad, it's not my neighbor. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And prayer is talking to God and being honest with Him. I'm a great sinner. And I need a great Savior. And there's a word here from David for all of us. He walked away from God. Don't know how it all happened. He got to looking where he shouldn't have. And then that spiral, that domino effect. He sinned. He was alone. He was isolated. And he knew better. But he foolishly took the bait. He was hooked on sin caught in that vicious net of sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we can all identify if we put our trust in God. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Do not be far from me. Make haste to help me. And then that last line, that last line tells us the faith of David. O Lord... My salvation. Salvation is found in none other. None other but the the person of Jesus. We can fool ourselves, but we can't fool God. When he says you're a sinner, that's what you are. And that's what we are. Well, we've come to the end. But we've not come to the end We've only come to the beginning of the grace of God. When we come to Jesus, when we come to Him, we're not coming to a pastor. We're not coming to a church, really. pastor will pray for you, teach you. The church will welcome you into the fellowship and join with you in serving God. But really, you're coming to Jesus. That's Billy Graham's would always sing at the close of his crusade, just as I am. That's how you come, just like you are. You can't clean yourself up good enough to come to him. You come to him dirty. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And so this morning, we're going to sing, Lord, I'm coming home. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm here. There are deacons here. You can use these front steps as an altar for you to pray, to confess your sin, to repent of them, to turn away from them. Ask God to forgive you. And He will through His promise through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said it. He'll do it. Let's bow together. Father, Father, You are our only hope. And we're so glad that when we put our hope and trust in you, we are not disappointed. We thank you for your word to us today. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder that we are sinners, that we need a great Savior. We pray now that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. to do what you ask us to do. If it's to pray, if it's to seek your face, if it's to turn from our wicked ways, if it's to confess to someone that we've hurt, or if it's to help someone who we see is in the suffering position of sin. Help us, Lord, to do your work in your way according to your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.